Warning. There is general scientific agreement that the most likely manner in which mankind is influencing the global climate is through carbon dioxide release from the burning of fossil fuels. Man has a time window of 5 to 10 years before the need for hard decisions regarding changes and energy strategies might become critical. That's a uh, ExxonMobil senior scientist, James Black, in an internal memo in 1977. Oh, 19... So there was 10 years in 1977... Yeah, James Black said, by 1987, we got to figure this shit out. Right, right. Damn. Interestingly, ExxonMobil spent the next 25 plus years spending millions of dollars to spread doubt about climate change and intentionally mislead the public on climate science. In 1989, they helped found the Global Climate Coalition, which was a think tank designed to intentionally spread uncertainty specifically about climate change. And in 1996, the American Petroleum Institute, which is an oil trade association which contains member organizations, including Exxon, Shell, BP, and others, had an internal document about their strategy for intentionally misleading the public about climate science. Here's a quote. Victory will be achieved when average citizens understand or recognize uncertainties in climate science, and recognition of uncertainties becomes part of the conventional wisdom. The document that has this quote in it also talks about recruiting, quote, independent scientists to spread their talking points. So this is in 1998 that the American Petroleum Institute did this. But there is also another internal document from Exxon from 1995, quote, the scientific basis for the greenhouse effect and the potential impact of human emissions of greenhouse gases, such as CO2 on climate, is well established and cannot be denied. So in 1995, internally, they were like, this cannot be denied. And then in 1998, they said, hey, let's spend millions of dollars to convince people that, yeah, it can be denied because then we'll make bank. So the people with the most power in the world to do something about this, the largest oil companies in the world, has known about this for 40 years, 41 years, 1977 memo at least, and has chosen to prioritize making money in one particular way over doing anything about it and in fact not doing anything they've done lots about it yeah here's one thing that they did about it according to documents that were gathered by greenpeace through freedom of information requests from 2001 to 2012 exxon and other fossil fuel companies put in 1.2 million dollars to pay a scientist called willie soon at the smithsonian institute to specifically produce evidence against man-made climate change a lot of the stuff that soon came up with with this $1.2 million has been disproven or found to be untrue. I think his As other scientists don't agree. Yeah. Also, he didn't publish with his papers where the funding came from, which is like a standard thing to do to protect against bias. He's right. pretending yeah. to be independent while taking money from them. And also this pseudoscience produced by this guy is still promoted by anti-climate change politicians to this day, like anti the existence of climate change. Right. They, they still use it. So that was one way to deal with the climate crisis. Yeah, that's doing something about it, <laughs> in a sense. I just imagine that you're someone who is extremely powerful and wealthy and is causing the destruction of the planet you live on, somehow. Mixed bag, okay, but I'm, I'm there. Okay. Imagining it. So you find this out. You're like, uh-oh. Okay, maybe how do we 
transition this company? Like, I want to keep my company going. I want to keep billions of dollars. How do we transition this company into making money in a way that doesn't contribute to this problem? How do we invest all the money we have made in a transition to make that better or, or to informing the public about this and creating the demand for different technologies? That could be one thing to do. I mean, maybe I'm being idealistic to think I would do that, but if I was transported there right now with this history and this brain, I feel like that's the direction I'd want to go in. Yeah, I think I would take more of an accelerationist route. I would like suppress the science. Oh, yes, you're kind of agreeing with the. Yeah, because I think the best way to address the climate crisis in the long term is to ignore it in the short term and make as much money as possible now. So now Exxon has all this profit. There's so many wealthy people who are involved in the production of fossil fuels and the creation of uncertainty about the science and stuff. Now all that money that's floating around, what's that going to be used for? Innovation. Addressing the climate crisis. (laughs) Especially once, you know, cities start being lost, once like there's real apocalypse shit happening then people are going to be hungry for these climate solutions and you're going to have all the money and be able to offer them to the people. Boom, make money on it twice. (laughs) You're a better businessman than I am, I got to say. Oh, thank you. Obviously, I'm joking around about saying it's a good thing to like delay addressing a serious crisis. Mm -hmm. But I mean, looking at the hand that we're dealt, we do have a nice big funding source for addressing this. It's all that oil profit. I'm not sure there's any good argument that people should be able to keep that, all things considered. Yeah. When God closes the door, he opens a window. That's what that's what I always say. Anyway, so ExxonMobil killed the planet on purpose. Welcome to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. They made bank. They made bank stealing from all of us, stealing our clean air, stealing our habitable planet and and a habitable planet that many of us hoped to pass on to future generations. It's one of the greatest thefts in history. And I completely agree with Sean. Any profit that was made from that theft is illegitimate and needs to be returned to the people and earmarked for solving this problem as quickly as possible. Anyway, welcome to the show, everyone. Should we unroll the red carpet for listeners to walk up into the show as we welcome them in oh is that something yeah they're uh, honored guests i need to move these rusty ladders out of the way they're in front of the closet where the big red carpet is so oh shit god watch what you're doing too many ladders why do we have these ladders uh you see all those light bulbs up there these are all led lights they need to be replaced like every 20 years or something now these, these lighters are archaic. Anyway, we rolled out the carpet. You're walking in. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. You're wrong. You're seriously wrong. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by 
the price of inaction. Now, as you well know, the price of inaction is already here. There are record droughts, heat waves, hurricanes, biodiversity loss, and other uncountable things which are horrible, which are ongoing, because we didn't act when it first became abundantly clear that man-made climate change was real and imminent. And that's not all. Further inaction will carry an even further price. As sea levels rise, as cities are lost to storms, our soil erodes and is less and less capable of growing the food we need to survive. It's overwhelming. There's too many costs within action. We, I can't list them all in one ad. The price is steep and ultimately is paid in blood. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong proudly brought to you by The Price of Inaction. That inaction keeps on going. So all indications seem to be that climate change is real and that it's devastating the planet and that devastation is going to get far worse. And the very powerful people not only knew about this, but were the same people who were responsible for causing it. But climate change is extremely controversial, even though it shouldn't be as a result of their actions. But there's like so many ecological catastrophes in progress right now that yeah. it almost doesn't matter. Like you can believe that climate change is a complete hoax if you want, as long as you look at all the other issues that are on the horizon and in progress right now mm-hmm. and believe that we should do something about them because the solutions to those things are very similar They overlap completely with solutions to climate change. Yeah, absolutely. So the conversation being focused around climate change the way it is, I think misses an opportunity because we're not just facing climate change, we're facing an ecopocalypse. Yeah, a more generalized ecopocalypse. Like, for example, ocean acidification is already affecting, is going to be affecting more so in the future, like coral reef, plankton will contribute to loss of marine life. That's not caused by the world getting hotter, but it is caused by carbon emissions. Because a quarter of of CO2 ends up in oceans, which creates carbonic acid, which interferes with the creation of shells, coral, and other essential parts of the ocean biosphere. Compared to uh, pre-industrial levels of ocean acidification, it's 30% more acidic now than it was before. You know, that's not climate change. It's not that the weather has changed or something like that. It was yeah, more disasters. Patterns, yeah. But it's that all the CO2 in the atmosphere, which the parts per million right now are like way, like almost double what it was in the pre-industrial period. Right. The carbon emissions causes that, but it's not warming. So it's like, yeah, we have to take a step back from the warming and the climate change, although those are essential parts and say like, no, we have a generalized ecopocalypse. Depending on which numbers you look at, 60, 70% of the world's life has been lost already since the from the 70s till now cutting down forests and just sort of paving over so much of the natural habitats like that isn't global warming although deforestation contributes to global warming because forests are one of the world's biggest carbon sinks and one of the biggest ways that carbon in the air gets put back into the earth so we can be concerned about biodiversity loss which we should be absolutely and doing something about that does something about 
global warming, does something about climate change, even if you don't think that's a problem. So I think it's important to sort of put a flag down when we're talking about catastrophic climate change, about like who is responsible for this and who isn't responsible for this. Because it's like such a common thing to run into people who essentialize ecopocalypse or climate change or whatever to the amount of people on Earth. When, like, well, it's certainly true that an expanding human population means that more resources are being used, particularly like in first world countries where people create an insane amount of garbage and very, very wasteful of energy and resources in the first world. Like it's true that that's a contributing factor to it. But to blame population alone, I think is a really big mistake because for the vast majority of people on earth, their amount of resource use is actually pretty responsible Probably a lot of the people listening to this don't fall in that category because our audience is mostly in, in the developed world. Something like in the top 10% of income earners in the world, which I believe is somewhere around $30,000, $34,000 maybe, are responsible for 50% of the world's carbon emissions. The bottom 50% of the world's population is responsible for only about 10% of the world's carbon emissions. Yeah. And amazingly, and this actually really sucks, the way that things are unfolding, the people who are least responsible for this crisis are the people who are going to be facing the harshest results the fastest, the places that are going to get the harshest heat waves, the people who are going to have the worst droughts that deprive them of the food that they need first are going to be in areas of the world that are least responsible for the climate crisis. Yeah, already are. I mean, the places with the most difficult climates were already the places where the poorest people were, the people using the fewest resources and the people dying because of weather the most. And so one of the ways people talk about the effects of climate change is increase in extreme weather conditions. That means deserts can get drier, storms get more violent. And so all those places with people who are already suffering because the weathers of the place they live aren't as hospitable as others are going to be hit by this the hardest and are already being hit by this the hardest. Three quarters of carbon emissions come from only 10 countries. The 100 least carbon polluting countries only make up 3% of total emissions put together. That's just another example of that disparity. But I just think it's important to say that we shouldn't be looking to have a blame game at the national level where certain countries, you know, certain borders, militaries <laughs> are responsible while other borders and militaries are so innocent or something like that, because it's entirely about financial situations of individuals in that country or in countries as a whole. It's completely about class. And the environmental crisis and the income inequality crisis are connected. You can't pull them apart from each other. Yeah. And I mean, it's like we can talk about how much worse we pollute than people in third world countries, developing nations. And that's absolutely true. But if we want to talk also about how much more anyone who has a private jet pollutes than either of us, like mm -hmm. airplanes produce a lot of emissions. And if you just have one going for you, like it's <laughs> sort of a dick move. It is. It, yeah. There's an important point that I like to repeat uh, that I originally heard from Murray Bookchin, when we blame humanity as a whole for the climate crisis, for the impending eco-apocalypse, you're blaming poor and vulnerable people unfairly while also letting the richest, most powerful people off the hook. The CEO of ExxonMobil and a poor kid on an indigenous reserve 
do not have equal responsibility for this crisis. And by blaming humanity as a whole, we let one off the hook and we slander the other. So I, I just I really want to emphasize one more time before we get more into the horrifying parts per million numbers and whatever. The climate crisis and income inequality are the same crisis. We're facing the same crisis in different forms. To address one meaningfully would also address the other. This crisis exists because there's these skewed incentives where the people who have the most power, the most money, also have the most ability to shield themselves from the negative effects of their actions that make them a huge profit but damage the habitable planet on which we all rely, including them. But again, they have all this resource to buffer themselves from that damage that they're causing. So the fact of income inequality, the fact of wealth inequality is directly responsible for every stage of those skewed incentives. Yeah. I mean, you could sort of imagine trying to address just income and wealth inequality or just the impending eco-apocalypse. But I feel like in either case, there are huge risks that come with that. So say if you maintained the inequality and tried to address the climate crisis in a non-egalitarian, unequal way, there'd probably be an unequal outcome to it. So you might have a climate strategy that prioritizes the needs of the least vulnerable because they're the people who are in the position to execute the plan in the first place. Or in the alternative example, let's say that you addressed the inequality, but not the climate change, then everyone would be burned alive in their homes and tortured by scarcity. Yeah. And people being burned alive in their homes and tortured by scarcity tend not to play nice in an egalitarian society. They're, you know, out to not die. Yeah. And will do whatever they can to not do that. So addressing one without the other, well, you're probably going to have at least a big chunk of people tortured alive. So we want to avoid that. The show, seriously wrong. We came out anti-torture, I think, what was it, 2015? <laughs> we're, we're against torture, so. Yeah, whether it's by governments or destroying the habitable environment on which we all depend. We now go to a first blind date that's going very well, already in progress. You are against torture. Yeah, oh. totally. It's a huge relief. So you're against torture too? Yes, yes. And to be honest, I've been on a lot of dates the past few months. You're mm -hmm. the first person who didn't have some pro-torture position. It's ridiculous. Oh, like pro-torture, like pro-secret government torture program type stuff? Or... Some people were in favor of that. Some people were even in, in favor of serial killers torturing people Ooh. if they had fun with it. You know, some Yikes. people, lowest rung was people who were only in favor of some climate torture or economic torture, like their mm -hmm. ideology supported oh. a sort of systemic torture. Yeah, deprivation. Yeah. Systemic deprivation. Sort of a form of torture, yeah. I would never have thought to put anti-torture in my profile, but uh, now that I see how well we're hitting it off, mm -hmm. uh, if, if something does happen where we don't end up together for the rest of our lives, I'm definitely going to screen people with that. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but if, do you mind me asking, is us potentially really hitting it off and literally being together forever on the table right now? Or is that off the table? It's not even close to the edge of the table. Like for me, that's right in the middle of the table right now. It's so on the table sturdily, like it, there would have to be a lot of pushing to get it off the table at this point. And I mean, we'll have years maybe to 
see whether it gets pushed off the table. But for right now, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that means this first date's going so well, like we're going to be meeting each other's families, like we're... But if we did meet each other's families, at least we'd have a united front on this issue. Totally, yeah. No need to get ahead of ourselves, obviously. There's a million things to learn about each other. Yeah, maybe it seems great at first. Five, ten years down the road, we change. It doesn't work for us anymore. There's nothing wrong with that. If we do stay together, and if we had kids, yeah. at least we both know that neither of us would want to torture our kids. And that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just sadly not a given these days. Oh my god, I love this song. Do you want to go dance? Wow, against torture and a dancer? I'm in heaven. Wow. Heavy stuff. You want to play a game with me? Want to play a little Did You Know? Oh, Did You Know? That's my favorite. Let's do it. Oh, good. You said yes. I was scared that you weren't going to want to play, and I really wanted to play. Well, you know I wouldn't let you down like that. Not on the air. Off the air... Mixed bag, for sure. Well, just think about it. Even if I didn't want to play the game, I'm not saying I don't. I do. I absolutely do. But even if I didn't, to not just let you down, but then to also humiliate you. Yeah. Okay, lay some digits on me. Did you know that according to the World Health Organization, in 2017, indoor and outdoor air pollution combined were responsible for 10 plus percent of deaths globally? Whoa. No, no, I didn't know that. 10%, over 10%? Over 10%. And I don't know what they mean, responsible, maybe contributed to. It seems really high. Like, that's an insane statistic. But the World Health Organization isn't fucking around. That would mean, like, one in 10 people that I ever know who died would have died from air pollution, right? Probably not, because they're probably all concentrated in places with the worst air. And Canada, in general, isn't one of those places. Even as far as cities go, Vancouver's pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah. It would be like low-income areas that are hit hardest by this sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, and like Los Angeles, like there'd be some higher-income areas, New York, that would be hit hard by it. But, But yeah, primarily places in developing industrial nations. Hey, well, did you know that according to a 2006 study conducted by Cornell University, about 37,000 square miles of agricultural cropland is lost each year to soil erosion. No, I didn't know that. That's horrifying. Yeah, soil erosion. Well, I'm happy to share. Soil erosion happens when the protective cover of forests and other vegetation is removed and, and the topsoil where crops can be grown is degraded or lost. Did you know that the USA is losing soil at 10 times faster than the replenishment rate and China and India 30 to 40 times faster? Whoa, whoa. It's from that same Cornell study. I didn't know that. Well, did you know that according to that same Cornell study, over the last 40 years, soil erosion has rendered about 30% of the world's cropland unproductive. Crops can't be grown there. 30% of the world's... No, I didn't know that. I only read that one fact from the study. Well, one more did you from that study. Erosion increases the amount of airborne dust, which also carries about 20 human infectious disease organisms, including anthrax and tuberculosis. So soil erosion's pretty rough stuff. Infectious disease airborne dust because of soil erosion. That's wild. Killer disease dust is not... I didn't know that, and, yeah, and I, it's, I'm more scared to live in the world because of it. And it's, it's caused by having less and less places to grow food. So by having less places to grow food, there's more airborne disease-ridden dust. Yeah. 
I don't want to sound like a hippie, but these systems are like connected, you know? There's all this overlap between these problems. Yeah, it's almost as if we're all, they're all part of the same system or the same body of the of the earth which is a mother goddess or something. It's oh, almost like Yeah, that. something like that. It sounds That sounds pretty true actually. Yeah. And when he gets sick, there's anthrax and tuberculosis clouds floating around. But uh, did you know that tropical forests, which used to cover 15% of the planet's land, now cover only 6 to 7%, and that much of the remainder has been degraded by logging or burning? Oh, fu- I didn't know that. And, and It's less than half forest? of what it was. Yeah, That's- Tropical forests, specifically, just tropical forests. But I mean, I, I'm sure you know that urban sprawl actually contributes to catastrophic climate events because covering the landscape with concrete interrupts the natural water cycle, which prevents rainwater from soaking into the ground and increases the uh, severity of flooding during rainstorms and hurricanes. No, no. Yeah, I didn't know that. It makes a lot of sense, though. Covering everything with concrete being bad. It also connects to like we've designed all of our cities around this one invention the car which is also one of the biggest polluters and just a a horrible inefficient way to transport people around and solving this problem that you just brought to my attention is intricately linked to reimagining cities so that transportation is effective and car culture is abolished We now go to Two Old Friends Talk About Biodiversity Loss on a Train. And I'll just uh, squeeze my... Barry! Gerald! Is this your seat? This is my seat, I guess, yeah, yeah, why else would you be sitting (laughs) here? Well, I'm I'm right here. (laughs) I haven't seen you in in a blue moon. Yeah, it's been a dog's age. I thought my journey was going to be boring and lonely. Happily mistaken. I was just going to be zoning out, trying to uh, avoid talking to the person sitting next to me. And now I see it's you, an old friend. How have you been? Well, I've been doing a lot better than the planet's biodiversity. Let's say that. Well, it's not saying much. Are you all right? Yeah, no, a lot better. Like, a lot better. But it's on my mind because I just hate when stuff is lost forever. Aside from the function, aside from the fact that it's necessary to maintain the habitat that we all depend on to live, I just species going extinct is sad and yeah like it's just like a loss forever that thing is gone and isn't coming back like the burning of the library of alexandria yes and the loss of all these great texts um and it's 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 sort of macabre to compare it i guess and when you're talking about living beings and creatures and stuff that function sort of in harmony in some sense not in perfect harmony mind you but a more complex ecosystem is a more stable one i i just read that fossil records say that the background extinction rate until the modern age was something like one species lost every 500 to a thousand years now that's a rate i can deal with you know it's sad but it's it's a very slow trickle of loss and they're saying now it's anywhere from a hundred to a thousand times that and likely to be ten thousand times that in the coming decades i feel like i've got a debt of mourning that i've not yet paid you know, I haven't paid attention to the biodiversity loss enough to really mourn the loss. And For whatever shallow distinction there is here, to know that there are species that human beings existed alongside of, that we drove to extinction before we were ever able to even catalog them, upsets sort of my archivist 
heart you know right. you know i'm yeah. an archivist now living the dream like we both talked about it back in the day and you're you're doing it so a bit jealous of you but oh, I, thanks I, you know. but hey, what are you doing these days i'm a bathroom attendant i um you know dry the rich people's hands wipe the rich people's butts pull their flies down for them hold their penis oh. while they urinate well i hear that's a growing industry i wasn't lying when i said things were going well and you know i think the people who call that stuff bum cleaning that is absolutely yeah it's unfair. a pejorative when mothers say to their kids well if you don't study you grow up to be a bum cleaner i think that's totally inappropriate it's not the most glorious job in the world there's there, good money in it there's worse things it pays the bills one thing it doesn't do and hasn't done though is prevent 58 percent of the world's vertebrae population from being decimated over the past 45 years. Yeah, not even the best bathroom attendant could prevent the loss of 83% of our freshwater ecosystem populations on average since 1970. It's outside your, the scope of your job, though. Uh, yeah, it's, you shouldn't feel it's bad not about judgment that. on the job. It's judgment on the specific people responsible for the actions and policies that are causing the habitat loss and the various other issues killing these creatures and and causing animals to go extinct and you mm. know besides humans pretty much every other animal on the planet is is not doing well and the idea that we're doing well in that situation is really a kind of mirage oh yeah losing things that you can never get back a really solemn thing to reflect on we've lost 50% of the shallow water corals in the last 48 years. Yeah. We're, we're between 17 to 19% of the Amazon rainforest, which has been logged. They say that the 20% point would be a tipping point where the Amazon would never recover. And if the Amazon never recovered, then you'd be looking at massive devastation to the jungle species there in that, that rainforest. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. Bummer. It's a bummer as an archivist, but it's also a bummer as a citizen. It's also a bummer as a citizen of the world. It's also a bummer as a living being on Mother Terra. Yeah. 30 million hectares of tree cover was lost in 2016, which was a 50% increase from 2015. And, I mean, that was two years ago. You know, how much has been lost since then? That's so much tree cover. And it's just gone. And that's where these animals live. And that's why they're dying. And that's why they're gone forever. 29.7 million hectares of tree cover. That's the same size as New Zealand. You know, this this really makes me want to hold the people making the decisions behind our world's farming, mining, infrastructure, oil and gas development industries responsible for mm-hmm. fixing this because they're to blame for this. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, that just that that feeling of loss that we're we're talking about and sharing about. I I want to know who's causing it and and who's responsible to fix it. So yeah, it's an important point, old friend. An important point. This is so great to be yeah, honest. just like old times. Is Sorry, do you mind if I um if you stand up to let me oh, out? I'm, yeah, oh, I of want course. to. Uh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom car, the washroom. Sure, yeah. Um, I'd invite you to come along and assist, but I, d- I don't make nearly enough money. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on duty right now anyway. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry for poking fun. I mean, do you archive everything? You keep some of your poo inside when you go to the washroom just to <laughs> archive it? It's ribbing. Just like Good. the old days. Yeah. <laughs> 
Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by all of the people who are already dead because we haven't addressed this problem yet. Hurricanes and other severe storms are getting worse and more violent because of changes to the global temperature. This is something that kills people. People who have mothers and fathers, brothers, sisters, children, friends. Back in the late 1980s, when it was absolutely clear that man-made climate change was real and imminent, we could have taken action that would have stopped severe droughts, heat waves, and other things that have literally already taken human life. This isn't some abstract thing in the future. This is something that's here and is affecting the planet right now. And for every moment that passes that we don't work to rectify those problems, people die. That yeah, this is the, I don't know. This isn't a game. This is yeah death. Yeah. Today's sponsor of Seriously Wrong. This episode is. Um sort of a bummer, eh? Yeah. These are really big problems and they're really hard to even imagine grappling with because they they involve collective action on a scale like nothing before. So it's daunting and terrifying and the vision of the future if we keep heading down the path that we're heading is a lot closer to hell than we are right now. And yeah, that's really the picture that's been painted so far in mm-hmm. this episode. Yeah, bleak, bleak, bleak future. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, you want to talk about soil and water pollution? Yeah. This just then. An October 2017 Lancet Commission on Pollution and Health showed that soil and water pollution cause 5% of world deaths. Of course, we all know that soil and water pollution is caused by things like oil spills, mining and other industrial activities, intensive farming, agrochemicals such as pesticides, herbicides and fertilizers, industrial accidents, ammunitions, chemical agents, agents of war, poor waste disposal, nuclear wastes, direct discharge of industrial waste into soil, poor sewage systems, landfills, illegal dumping, coal ash, and last but not least, electronic waste. Oh, but don't forget about microplastics. Human beings drop 8 million tons of plastics in waterways every year. And microplastic fibers are found in about 83% of the world's tap water. People eating seafood could be ingesting up to 11,000 pieces of microplastic every year. Yum yum. One unexpected source of water pollution is actually nutrients from industrial fertilizers. Excess nitrogen and phosphorus in groundwater can be harmful to human health even at low levels. Infants who drink water too high in nitrates can experience shortness of breath and blue-tinted skin, also known as blue baby syndrome, which can lead to death. Jesus Christ. That's not to mention that in bodies of water, excess nitrogen and phosphorus can cause what is called an algae bloom. If you've ever seen those pictures of 
perfectly still sparkling water with a big green, beautiful bloom of algae underneath. That's because of nutrient pollution. That excess nitrogen and phosphorus causing the algae to grow so fast that it severely reduces or eliminates oxygen in the water leading to illness and death of large numbers of fish. Some algae blooms produce toxins and bacterial growth, which can make people sick if they come into contact with polluted water. But all that death does make for some still pretty clear bodies of water. Rough stuff. In lighter news, England's chief medical officer, Sally Davies, has said, the world is facing an antibiotic apocalypse. Overuse of antibiotic drugs is creating a situation where an increasing number of bacterial superbugs are resistant to our most common lines of defense against them. According to Sally Davies, there's a risk of, quote, returning to the dark ages, where antibiotic resistance means that the most common medical procedures and surgeries could become life-threatening in a high amount of cases. According to The Guardian, in a drug-resistant world, many aspects of modern medicine would simply become impossible. An example is provided by transplant surgery. During operations, patients' immune systems have to be suppressed to stop them from rejecting a new organ, leaving them prey to infections. Superbugs would mean that their compromised immune systems would fall prey more easily. As always, the fault here lies with major corporations trying to make a cheap buck. Pharmaceutical companies have failed to develop new sources of general medicine than antibiotics and have dumped industrial waste inappropriately all over the developing world. Additionally, in many countries, land and fish farmers have dumped antibiotics onto their livestock as a way to provide growth in the short term. This, of course, causes antibiotic resistance way more than any consumer ever could. As always, it's not consumers, it's production. Awful. Awful stuff. Awful threats to the habitat on which we all depend to survive, none of which are global warming. Just all these things we've been reporting on, not global warming. Wanted to mention that before the newscast is out. Sort of related to global warming, but and maybe some in some cases overlap, but definitely not global warming we're talking about. More of a generalized eco-apocalypse type thing. Now we go to Confirmation Bias News' weekly debate, where we explore both sides of every issue. Today's debate topic, will entrepreneurs and private industry save us from climate change? Or should we just keep warming that world up? All right. Hello, I am debate participant number one. My name is Benjamin Klaus. I am the president of the Friends of Industry Association, and I do run a personal blog at billionairebeastmode.net that I encourage everyone to check out. My name is Robert Gwen, and I will be debate participant number two. I am a death cultist, a member of a apocalyptic death church, and I really just think we should just warm this bad boy up. I'm not sure anything bad's going to happen anyways, and it's a cold world out there. We could use a couple degrees, I think. 
Well, I mean, you, the impact is catastrophic. Well, this this isn't something I'm we not sure can I sleep buy on. That. And the people most able to take care of this are the people who've proved themselves most able to do anything. And that's Elon Musk. That's Jeff Bezos. That's they shouldn't be those focusing two are my favorite. I'm going to be honest. They should there. be focusing on making money to enrich themselves. Uh, hello, exact same thing. Green economy. Have you heard of it? Saving the planet is about to be big bucks because big destruction equals big opportunity. I frequently have really cold hands and feet. It's my cross to bear. Like I always need to have mittens and is that uh, what this is fuzzy about for socks. You? you want it to be warmer because you're cold all the time. Yeah, I'm just saying we don't need to use our most brilliant minds, our capitalist innovative minds on keeping cold hands cold. And actually, I thank the entrepreneurs of the world for causing global warming because if we're one degree well, above right. the pre-industrial average right now then that means my hands and feet right. are one degree warmer on average than they would be if it weren't for our capitalist innovator friends you know i wouldn't dwell on who caused climate change too long i think it might distract from the solution to climate change which is Go online and shop at Amazon right now because we need to get as much money into Jeff Bezos' hands as possible. He's smarter than this guy and he knows that climate change needs to be stopped. And while you're at it, invest in Tesla. Or if you got enough money, buy a Tesla. Just whatever you can do to help these two men get more money. You know, maybe they won't even just fix global warming. They'll cool it down a bit. That's what I'm hoping for. Let's let's drop the temperature oh, a few no. degrees. Please, no. I'm shivering just thinking about it. Well, wear a coat, sir, because you're killing the rest of us. Who are these people? Oh, I'm so weak. If it was three degrees hotter, I would just die. Did you hear it's about it? like, no, I won't get a coat. Little thing called Hurricane Harvey? Hurricane Sandy, maybe? Oh, yeah, because when it gets too warm, hurricanes show yes. up. Yes. When it gets too warm, hurricanes get worse. As they travel across oceans, hitting warm patches causes them to become more vociferous and kill more people, destroy more buildings, just oh, wow. worse, worse, Hurricane. worse. Oh. oh, I got warmer. Oh, now I'm more destructive. Woo. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's no, crazy. We need to cool the hurricanes down. I say keep hurricanes hot, as hot as they want to be. It's not our place. Cool a hurricane. That was a fascinating debate. We now go to our special reporter out on the street talking to members of the public about this important issue. Sir, sir, can I uh, can I stop you there? Were, were you just listening to the debate we had? Uh, do you have any thoughts on the issues as they were discussed? Absolutely. I thought both of your commentators are completely out to lunch, you know, I mean, one guy just was completely out of his depth on the science, and the other guy's solutions were completely ludicrous. We can't rely on private sector profit-seeking to address the, this issue of this scale. We need immediate global collaboration and action. And that's just to limit it to 1.5 degrees, which would be absolutely catastrophic. We would still have a sea level rise of one and a third feet. This is not controversial science, and it's, it's mind-boggling to me that you gave a platform to these two idiots, these idiots. Okay, then, okay, well, there's one in every bunch. Uh, <laughs> how about you, sir? You look like a working-class kind of Joe. Yeah, uh, I fix cars. What did you think about what the uh, debaters were saying? They didn't mention probably the most important thing, which is that we desperately need carbon capture technology. There's, 
There's too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere already. We have about 400 parts per million carbon dioxide. The pre-industrial average with 280 parts per million. And if we hit 450 parts per million, we're going to be on track for over 3 degrees of global warming ahead of the pre-industrial average. At this point, the only safe emissions is no further admissions. Obviously, that's not uh, feasible uh, socially or, or culturally, technologically, but we're already past the point of no return. We're having effects right now in the current day. We're one degree ahead of the friggin' pre-industrial average. We need carbon capture technology. We gotta put this in the ground. Okay, sounds like uh, I picked a conspiracy theorist. How about, uh, ah, the, the innocence of a child, of course, of course. You look like a learned kid. You have glasses on. You look really smart. What did you think about what the two smart grown-ups in the interesting debate said? I think that climate change and the global apocalypse isn't something that people did. It's something that the rich did to everyone else. Only 90 corporations cause three quarters of global warming. And I think we should expropriate all of their assets and mobilize their profits and stock value to pay for the climate crisis. Thank you. Oh, is he, he's done talking? Sorry, I was looking at my phone. Um, well, that wraps up this segment. Varied opinions today, but it seems like between our two debaters, the public is much closer to debater number one, and that Elon Musk is going to save us by building carbon capture technologies that fly around sucking up the CO2 and then sell it back to us as a fuel to use in a beautiful cycle forever with the climate under control. Back to you in the studio. Thank you so much for your report. From all of us here at Confirmation Bias News Studio, news is over. Now to a blind first date that is going poorly, already in progress. You can't be serious. I'm not spending the rest of my life with you if that's what you think. I can't believe that you would vote for him after he said that shit. I thought it was great. (laughs) No, you you thought it was great that we should burn millennials' grandchildren alive and torture them with scarcity? Yeah, but you got the logic of it, right? Like, millennials, our gener- we're so entitled, so our grandchildren are going to be even more entitled. It gets passed on, and so if we burn them alive, that's kind of a cleansing fire, and the strong will survive. It's, It's disgusting. It's preposterous. The political position that you're taking on this blind first date is that there should be pseudoscientific eugenics mediated by catastrophic climate change. Yeah. How I, I, cleansing I, fire? It's fucking horrible. Okay, so you're saying that if the temperature of the planet raises like our current trajectory says 3 to 4 degrees that the people who do survive that catastrophe aren't going to be the strong ones? No. Physically strong, like the most muscular? Uh, physical strength, emotional strength, hardiness. That's absolutely kind of insane. General hardiness index? No, that wouldn't be the deciding factor in human survival in, in catastrophic circumstance like that at all. There's absolutely no logic to, that what? physically strong, it's emotionally just, resolved. This is why we're never going to work out that and is why this blind date is going su- awful. This is a bad first blind date, and that is some pseudoscientific eugenicist. You can just keep saying pseudoscientific, shit. but like anyone who can 
do a basic logic knows that that's wrong. Okay, so you ever seen Mad Max? Do you see a lot of weak people surviving in Mad Max? That is a work of fiction. I know that, but it's talking about eternal truths of desperate situations. Think of the world Mad Max's babies, babies, babies would build. They'd be so strong by that point. Everyone in Mad Max are completely traumatized and violent and without vibrancy and they live broken lives. It's a dystopia. It's not intended to be an ideal outcome. It's a place where ethically disgusting monsters can do whatever they want to other human beings in an environment that's governed by scarcity. It's not something to aspire to. Like, that's completely mad. It's disgusting. Mm, Save the babies. I didn't even take two seconds to think about the implications for the human stock if we literally save all babies from the fires. Come on. If we had hit it off today and we were together forever and we grew old together we had children yeah which is i'd say off off the the table table. yeah if you want to have a kid and raise it in this bouncy castle world with zero fire bouncy castle world no being burned alive any kid can survive and they're doted on every minute oh here's medical care oh there's no dictators for you to be tortured by here's just a perfect easy life with nothing to do did you, mean, just, like, did you just start advocating for torturous dictators? As part of a cycle where you want to do a, a culling. I'm actually going to leave. Thank you. Because that's not just wrong. That's wrong and bad. And you should okay. feel bad. Okay. Well, You're not thankfully welcome. I don't have to ever speak to you again. And everyone I know on the internet agrees with me well, about all this stuff. And uh, we're building a political movement. This politician I voted for says he's going to not take any action. He's going to continue on the path that we're on now. And that's leading to the future that I want. So we're already going where I want. And what I'm saying is I'm on board for it. You should get on board for it. Our babies should be on board for it. That we won't be having together because this date's going awful. No, no, I'm not growing old with you. No way. Ooh, this is delicious water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love chilling by the water cooler with my coworkers and sipping cool water, talking about office stuff. Yeah, get away from the computer, stretch your legs for a minute. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, Chairs right. are deadly. Have you seen the research on that? Sitting all day? Yeah. It's not good for you. It's definitely not good. We're not, not as deadly, though, as I heard today, one-sixth of the world population likes access to clean drinking water, like this stuff we got right here. Actually, I heard that the U.S. Agency for uh, International Development predicts that by 2025, a third of the human population will face severe and chronic water shortages. Not feeling that here at the water cooler for now. And I mean, we're not feeling it here in North America that much. Like the hardest hit places I heard is going to be North Africa, the Middle East, and Sub-Saharan Africa. We're in a comfortable bubble here with this water cooler. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the water that's consumed in many places around the world is groundwater. It's pumped up from reservoirs under the ground. And we're generally speaking, tapping our groundwater reserves above the replenishment rate. For example, in India... 54% of India's groundwater locations are decreasing over time. And I mean, like, you and me standing here drinking this water at the cooler, we're not the ones causing these shortages. 90% of the water used in the world is by industry and agriculture, and and much of that could be mitigated through 
choosing different options. There's ways to do agriculture that uses far less water than the ways we're doing them now. There's choices being made. Part of it's like flood irrigation. They like flood an area to water plants. Yeah, rather than more targeted. Another place that water is going, we're talking about billions of gallons of treated water is getting lost around the world every year just from water infrastructure that's in disrepair. So like leaky pipes, just spilling clean water underground, like thousands and thousands, billions and billions of gallons. That is wild. And like, yeah, fixing all of that infrastructure is a huge, huge task. Not looking forward to having to ration water. You know, I love just coming to the water cooler like this and drinking it whenever I want. And if that's not an option, it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought where where water shortages could lead us socially and geopolitically. When I envision a future with chronic and severe water shortages that affect half or more of the population, it's not a rosy picture. Not a rosy picture, no. Yeah. Well, a bit heavier than our usual water cooler chats, but I better uh, get back to... uh, my cubicle. Yeah, and cubicle time. Yeah. Back to work. <laughs> I was wow. going to say, no, it is a rosy picture. The mm. month October in my office wall calendar, which is different types of flowers. The October is oh, very right. rosy. Oh, right. rosy, rosy yeah, picture. So very rosy. <laughs> uh, very good. Just a little yeah. office humor. Um, it's a real calendar, uh, though. Yeah, we Have do stare at it? our calendars a lot in offices. They're just <laughs> right there in the cubicle. It's one of the things in the cubicle with you. Obviously, you're going to take a look so yep. we keep track of days yeah yeah definitely yeah okay well back to work and uh, see ya see ya yeah. see you next time we get water <laughs> until it's all gone am i right <laughs> <laughs> sooner uh, than you think a third of the population by 2025 Ooh. so uh, yikes 2025 is only seven years away stop <laughs> you're terrifying me so even though the ecopocalypse is far broader than just global warming and covers a lot of interconnected issues, global warming does still seem mm-hmm. to be a big problem. Yeah, no, it's real. Not only is it real, but ExxonMobil knew it was real in 1977 and paid millions of dollars to convince us that it may or may not be real. Oh, I heard that somewhere recently. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm not sure what we should do with their assets, but letting them keep their assets seems really bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, with a historical theft from, you know, our common resources and our shared habitat like that, it does seem like those are ill-gotten spoils, for sure. (laughs) Ill-gotten spoils. (laughs) I want to talk that way. I think I think that could be like part of the phrase that we use in the sort of revolutionary movement is like we got to reclaim the ill-gotten spoils. Yeah. It's phrase. got a good ring to it. Last month, which be, you know, October 2018, the IPCC released a report on limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. We're currently at about as of 2017, we're at 1 degree Celsius above pre-industrial average. They're saying this is what it will take to only have 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial average. It would require a five-time increase in funding for low-carbon energy technology and energy efficiency by 2050 compared to 2015. It would require that carbon emissions reach net zero by 2050 at the latest. And 
reaching net zero by 2050 would be likely to cause us to overshoot 1.5 degrees Celsius and then be able to adjust afterwards through carbon capture. But current committed targets by nations, like the trajectories that nations are currently on based on their own standards, will place us in between three and four degrees Celsius above pre-industrial average by 2100. It's a very bad situation. Like limiting to 1.5 degrees... (laughs) will have some catastrophic and irreversible consequences. Being at one degrees now is already having effects. Yeah, I found this section really helped put kind of what those temperatures mean in some perspective. So this is framed under some benefits of stopping at 1.5 versus going to 2. So this is just a half degree difference. If we stick to 1.5 instead of 2, only 14% of the population will experience extreme heat waves every five years instead of 37%. The Arctic will be free of sea ice in the winter once every 100 years rather than once every 10 years. Limiting to 1.5 from 2 degrees would cut the further loss of vertebrae, fish, and plant life in half, would cut the loss of insect life by a third, it would save 1.8 million kilometers of permafrost from melting, and it would make it so that we would only lose 70 to 90% of coral reef rather than 99%, which is how much we would lose at 2 degrees. So big differences and the 1.5 degrees ain't looking so rosy either and we're currently on trajectory for three to four degrees which is double two degrees so i don't know how much more coral there is to kill after that but yeah 99.9 percent of all coral all the way up to we saved a bit of coral in a tank and it's dead now and you know this warming and all the other ecopocalypse effects that were sort of looking at here disproportionately caused by a really small group of organizations and individuals it's worth repeating because the segment of the population that bears the most responsibility not coincidentally also has the most financial ability to remedy this problem so it makes sense to focus our thoughts and energies on what these people did and the actions that need to be taken to remedy this disaster. Even if you don't agree that we should expropriate their wealth and divert it to a vast global collaborative project to fight this issue, at at least you have to agree that this is a a conversation worth happening about their culpability and the ill-gotten spoils. These 90 companies are responsible for two-thirds of man-made climate change. The top 20 of them are responsible for 30%. Exxon, who put hundreds of thousands of dollars into making people confused about whether or not we should address imminent human-made climate change is responsible for over 3% of all carbon emissions in history. And uh, the worst part about it all is that it's completely hopeless. There's nothing we could do to fix this. It's over. We're fucked. It's over. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree. There's nothing that can be done. I mean, if the best solution that we've heard so far this episode is Elon Musk is going to save us. It looks pretty bleak. Oh, the baby is kicking. Baby's kicking. You want to feel it? Oh, please. Yeah, may I? 
Of course, it's half of your baby. Oh, I, I call the bottom half. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I thought we'd do it left, right. Uh, that, makes, okay. that makes more sense. But also, why would you take the bottom half? That's crazy. It's not kicking, though. It is kicking. I can feel it. You're just not feeling it right. Oh, oh yeah, it's kicking. Oh, my God. That's incredible. The miracle of life. So I just had sort of a spooky thought the other day about our unborn child. Mm. I was just thinking about how with the current rate of carbon emissions, we're well on the way to exceeding 450 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which would guarantee that we would break three degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial average. And Yeah, I mean, it's a burning world at that point, right? For yeah. Our, for our child to grow up in. Yeah, our kid's going to be born in 2020. The world probably won't start burning until like... 2080 something like that so it'll at least Um, get a a full life yeah but before that it will experience a lot of other really horrifying things there's going to be mass climate migration there's going to be unpredictable weather cycles yeah i mean if all the coastal cities around the world don't prepare we could lose cities we would lose cities i mean uh, a lot of people live on the coasts and that's a lot of infrastructure to lose it's a scary social situation, a global global geopolitical situation. Well, yeah, if there's shortages of baby. arable land that you can grow crops on, and there's also shortages of clean water, I mean, I think even before people are being burned alive in their homes at the latter half of the century, you're still going to be dealing with the intense conflict that comes with scarcity. You could be dealing with a war of all against all, a real dystopian sort of descent food shortages and water shortages like people get riotous very quickly if they don't have food and water and those are very real possibilities if we don't contain these ecological crises that uh you know we're we're gifting to our little kiddo yeah the unborn child there yeah yeah sorry Hmm. i don't know yeah i don't know either you know we're hip tattooed parents but this problem is too big for us i thought it was going to be easy being a cool tattooed parent yeah instead of a regular parent but now part of being a cool tattooed parent is being woke and understanding social issues when i was a kid i always wished my parents were cool and tattooed and that's why i wanted to be a cool tattooed parent i don't know if i ever told you that but now that i am one i realize how insufficient that is for protecting this innocent life inside me from the horrors of the reality that we're we're rendering our habitat inhospitable to human life there's a lot of kids out there too you know it's not just not just our kid oh god i mean don't don't even make me think about them i'm thinking about just my kid thinking about all the kids talking about billions of kids yeah Kids, al- right. uh, kids alive now too are going to face this stuff. Like they already are, yeah, in, like, in many parts of the world, and depending kid- on income level primarily. Yeah, well, like if you go to a park with a play structure, you can see kids that are going to be profoundly affected. I mean, we're, I mean, Christ, we're going to be affected by it too sooner rather than later. The younger the person that you see out in the world, the more dire their their reality is going to be about this stuff. So. Yeah, it's weird. This is just a issue that really points a gun at the young and unborn and uh, leaves it to, for them to deal with. Wow, yeah. Very few social issues are so targeted at hurting 
the, the future. Yeah, yeah, like the yet to be born yeah. is the disenfranchised group. Yeah. From this injustice. Yeah, and I mean, this stuff is connected to other aspects of human existence. The climate crisis spiraling out of control, I think, could really honestly lead towards global techno-fascism in a really... Oh, sure. Global techno-fascism mixed with, like, patriarchal tribalism. We could have barbarism. Look, humans don't operate at their best socially under conditions of extreme deprivation. You know, being burned alive and tortured by scarcity. That's not when we work together most effectively. That's when people start to scratch and claw at each other for survival. And that provides openings for potentially disastrous political possibilities that that are horrifying to consider and become more and more likely every moment that something isn't being done to avert this crisis or that too little is done which is the case currently it's really it's really uh, messed up how much we hear about this problem and how we become kind of numb to it And can even just kind of be like, well, things are being done. And it's like, yeah, things are being done, but they're totally insufficient. This perfect recipe for continued insufficient action until the effects become impossible to ignore. And, you know, we can hope at that point that we have something in place that can, you know, get us back to something more stable again. But... That's not a guarantee, especially if we're not working on the problem. With climate change, it's really like a hypersaturated problem because it, it feels at the same time sort of like cliche and like not worth talking about, like everyone knows it or something like that. But at the same time, like it feels sort of unreal. Like, so it's both a cliche that's not worth talking about and it's something that you don't take seriously because it's just this sort of like surreal other world and like it really only started clicking for me on a deep level around the time that vancouver started having forest fire smoke for a couple days a year like every year right where like you just go outside and it's like smoke day and there's just smoke everywhere for like a couple days and it's because there's massive fires in the province forest fires i think it's this unreal cliche because the level of panic that standing face to face with this thing constantly demands of people would be unlivable like stewing in this feeling all the time so you have to compartmentalize it and then it just becomes really easy to keep it compartmentalized because it doesn't intrude on our day-to-day lives in a like the information intrudes via news feeds and stuff but not that like nothing happens in my daily routine that makes me think about climate change and it's like the differences over time that we can, like pe- we just get accustomed to it. because, And it's like the new normal. And then like humans are very adaptable that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not until the changes start getting like so quickly out of control that it would really like be a constant alert to us. Yeah, we got to do something about this, eh? Yeah. Well, that's all the time that we have this week. Um, I'm not sure that we're going to make it through as a species, the ecopocalypse. Yeah, I really hope we do. But uh, on the bright side, if we don't, it's suddenly not our problem anymore. 
if humans go extinct from the earth, then, you know, fixing the earth's habitat, boom, not our problem. We're gone. So we have that to look forward to. So I'm going to take a different perspective here. If we get extinct. I think if we get extinct, it still is our problem. And that's where we differ. And that's okay. That's part of the dynamism of the co-host, co-host sort of dynamic. Yeah, we can agree on everything. So that's where we disagree this episode. You know, my grandmother always told me, if you agree with someone on everything, you're in a cult. So if you agree with us on everything, you can give us six dollars a month on patreon or uh, even if you don't agree with us on everything oh yeah, we no, still appreciate wait, it no yeah sorry sorry no the, yes people who disagree with us on many things should probably give first yeah because if you do agree with us on everything then you probably shouldn't give us money that might create an unhealthy continued you might need to separate from us a little bit right See, now that's sort of what i was originally thinking is like oh they're they're in a cult they're gonna be really right, willing to right, chip right. in but to be uh to be more moral, we should discourage that. Mm. Yeah. No, I think ethics are important. Yeah. And I mean, like, even if you have just one thing you disagree with us on, then it's okay to give. So <laughs> please, please do give. The $6 a month really helps and it gives you access to bonus episodes, old episodes that are no longer in the main feed and gets you into a super cool Facebook group where you can chat with other people who listen to the show and also us the beautiful genius garden yeah and uh hopefully we avert climate disaster and the beautiful genius garden sticks around forever but uh we'll see thank you for listening wouldn't bet on it at this point we'll see you all next week four degrees celsius above a pre-industrial average here we come next week back with another seriously wrong comedy political episode burned alive in our homes and tortured by scarcity not by next week but by, soon. By, yeah, soon. by 20, 20, 2070, 2080. Yeah. Yeah. Might still be alive to see it. To our younger listeners, you're more likely to be alive to see that. Roll the end theme. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. You're seriously wrong. Seriously wrong, you're wrong, you're serious.